Hello and welcome to this podcast series in which we explore the other ethnic identities in London, especially within the equality and diversity monitoring forms and the national statistics. Over the following 10 episodes, we will create a space for immigrants and members of the other ethnic groups to share our voices, developing a sense of community and belonging. My name is JC Candanido. And I'm Sanya Abdurrahman. And, and this, this is, is the, the other checkbox. checkbox. Hello everyone and welcome back to another new episode of The Other Checkbox, a podcast that was born from our continuous conversation and debates on identities and not feeling represented or belonging. We'll be interviewing individuals to share the stories, insight and experience and together we will explore the other ethnic identities in London. In today's episode we'll be discussing mixed other identities, what it is like to belong and be represented in the UK and how representation affects our identities. Our guest is JC Candeneno, a queer migrant visual artist and a photographer who will be sharing with us his lived experience and what is it like to be a mixed other in the UK. Hi JC, thank you so much for being here today. I mean, Hi. we both are the guests. <laughs> <but> <laughs> We're both guests and hosts at the same time, but thank you so much for having me and for having this conversation with me today. No, thank you so much for being here. Um, I think we had a discussion about how amazing we interviewed people and they're sharing the lived experience and their stories and their own um, uh, worries about representation. And uh, we had a conversation about how it's important for us as well to share this with our viewers, for them to know a little bit about why we started this project and what we're actually hoping to achieve from it. Um, so great that we have you today and actually for people to know more about you and having an episode with you as well. So to start off, JC, can you introduce yourself and your identity? Yes, thank you so much. So my name is JC Canonido. I am a half Catalan, half Panamanian queer visual artist and I'm based here in London. Uh, in my work, I use photography to explore human rights, mental health and identity. Particularly, I'm interested in queer identity, but also national identity. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, I know a lot about the amazing work that you do, which I will ask a bit later. Uh, so uh, thank <laughs> give you. the viewers a little bit. Um, but I find that you have you come from a, an interesting mix, um, based Panaman and Catalan, uh, Catalonian, which neither of them I feel like they are represented in the diversity and inclusion form. So but that's from my opinion. In your opinion, do you feel represented in a diversity and inclusion form? or even in your own uh, industry as a visual artist? I think that that is basically, the answer to this question is basically the reason why you and I are here today, why you and I created this uh, project and are uh, recording this podcast uh, to share our experiences with these forms, but also of living in the UK um, and not feeling represented. I definitely don't feel represented in any of those um, forms, but it's something that, maybe I wasn't aware of uh, for a long time. It's something that just like caught my attention after living in so many countries and having to answer those forms in so many different ways. And I remember perfectly writing down one day, like I should do something about this because I'm sure that I'm not the only person who has this experience with these forms. And I wrote one day, you know, I have like a list of like projects to do like my to-do list of projects to run in the future. And I was like, I should do a project where I document 
the experiences of other people who, like me, do not see themselves in these forms and who end up taking either mix other or other because they don't know where to take. And it's so funny because you and I, we had a meeting about a different project a couple of years ago. And while having coffee and discussing the meeting, I told you, listen, these are the projects that I'm interested in working on. And when I mentioned that one, this one in particular, you told me, yeah. I have this ex same experience and I also want to do a project about this. So it felt like it was, you know, meant to meant to happen because we were both from uh, this community of people who when we are faced with the question what is your ethnicity and then they give us these options we never see ourselves in those options and um and yeah these options admittedly cannot be cannot possibly include 100 percent of the different variations uh, of combinations of ethnicity or, or the, the ethnicities uh, that are in the planet but sometimes you look around and you go like, wait a minute, I'm not the only one like me. <laughs> so why are these forms not including us? As that, I completely agree. I think literally what you were saying is that um, I also felt the same. And I was like, oh my God, it's probably people who not had this kind of conversations before. But seeing how when we started the conversation and how the podcast have actually been going as well, I find it really interesting to there's different people from various communities that are experienced that, um, which takes me to the second question of I want to ask you, then how does this representation impacted your life? At so many levels, and like I said in the previous question, um, sometimes in a very uh, subconscious way. So you're not really aware of what is going on. I remember watching a, TV, a really famous TV show um, here in the UK and the interviewer asked this celebrity um, a question about their background and this celebrity I remember he was half Dutch and I think he was half Ghanaian but I'm not really sure but he said that the problem that he had is that he was part of two very different communities and when he was with his uh, Dutch family he was always made to feel Ghanaian and when he was with his Ghanaian uh, family he was always made to feel Dutch and when he said those words and the, the sort of like the conflict of identities that he had I I saw that and then I immediately thought that's me that's how I feel like there is someone out there who has just said exactly how I feel and it might sound silly for people who don't have this experience for people who might not come from mixed backgrounds or who have never leave, uh, left the place where they live but a lot of, uh, there's a lot of people like me who come from mixed backgrounds who also don't live in their countries and who also have this experience of having like this duality. Like, what am I, where do I fit? Like, you don't feel like you, you, like you fit anywhere. So if on top of that, you add that when you move to a country like the UK and then they ask you, you know, to fill in these forms because they want to keep track of all the different people who live in the country for many reasons, which I think some of them are fantastic and really useful. But then they tell you, you don't exist because people like you, are, we, we don't account for people like you. We just put you all in this box, the mixed others, all the rest that go here. And we will never do any programs to tackle the struggles that, that your communities have, or we will never acknowledge that there's people like you living here. So you feel, you feel invisible. You feel like, wow, like, am I the only one of my kind in the village? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, I... I... Thank you so much, JC, firstly, for sharing that, because I find that um, very interesting and fascinating of, 
like the issue is not just that you are mixed from two different identities but also like being put in another world on another country like the UK yeah how do you even fit in that categories when everything is being put into a box um and that makes me wonder then then how does your ethnic identity affect your sense of belonging to a community and is there a community that you can call yours not so long ago uh, someone asked me a similar question and they they wanted to know if I had always had this um, sense of identity that I have now. And the answer is no. Obviously, it's something that it fluctuates. It depends on where you're living. If you're back in the country where you were born, your sense of identity is different to the one that you have when you leave. If you come from mixed backgrounds, if you live in one of the in the countries of one of those backgrounds, you feel a certain way. If you live in the country of one of the other backgrounds, you feel mm-hmm. like your other half. But if you live in neither, then you have also sort of like another external sense of uh, identity. And usually other people dictate how you feel about yourself. And this, it, it depends also on your age, on your socioeconomic background, like so many things come into play for you, you know, to experience that uh, sense of identity. And I, I obviously, when, when I was asked that question, I said, yeah, that, that, like I've had this, this ongoing question in my life, but at some points in my life I felt like I was more Panamanian and at other points in my life, I felt like I was more Catalan and depending also on the reactions from society, that, that sort of like conflict of what am I, like am I 50-50, am I 75-25, you know, <laughs> sort of like you have uh, all these questions. And then you come to the UK and you obviously as, as someone who comes from abroad, you have a lot of priorities when you land in a different country and you have to find a space for yourself, where to live, you need to find work, you need to take care of your family, to put food on the table. And um, if you are lucky enough to speak the language, those are things that you can do on, uh, you know, on your own and try to figure out how the new society that you are fitting in works. When you don't have that luck, when you can't speak the local language, you tend to look for people who are like you, who speak your language to help you out because they can tell you, listen, make sure that you do this and this and that um, to to make sure that you're doing the things the right way. Uh, As someone who has lived in different countries, I always try to follow like 100% of all the different rules and all the different paperwork that you have to do because you never know in the future what can go wrong and they backtrack it to the moment when you arrive in the country. So you're always really stressed about, you know, trying to do all that paperwork and and all the different uh, trimets that you have to do. And if you have someone that um, has gone through the same experiences that you have, if you have someone who has a similar background, similar nationality, similar identity in their passport, you, you find support from those people. If you don't speak the language on top of that, then doing all that becomes a burden. So you have to go find people who help you translate, to, to tell you maybe go to this organization, they might help you out. And after you go through all of that, then on top of that, you need to find a job and you need to find a place to live. You need for landlords to be able to, you know, um, rent you, you know, a home uh, or a room or wherever you're going to live. So um, not, not really understanding how the new society or the new country where you're living in uh, works um, and not having the support from, you know, a community that is similar uh, to you um, also, you know, af- affects your experience as someone who has uh, come 
new to a country. And I'm, I'm saying all this, and it might not be 100% my experience. I, I, when I came here to the UK, I knew very little people. I knew people who were from, a couple of persons who were from Barcelona, a couple of friends of friends, and I knew another Latin American person, and they were the ones who helped me out, telling me these are the, you know, the, the different um, paperwork that you have to do. These are the places where you have to register. This is what you need to do to be able to get a job, to register for your uh, national insurance number, to, to, um, to be able to pay taxes or get a place to live. So I was lucky that I already had uh, those contacts, but I know a lot of people who don't have that experience. And also um, when I arrived, I, it, it was very difficult those first few years to find people who I could connect who, who were um, from places or from cultures similar to mine. So I ended up becoming as part of like this broader immigrant community, which is beautiful because I can relate to the struggles of, you know, all the immigrants in the UK. So in London, I, I, I felt the pain and the struggle of other people from other parts of the world and other cultures who were also trying to integrate into society. So I became like that part of like, like sort of like a global diaspora, let's say, if you wanted to call it something. Um, because I couldn't find anyone who was like me, like Panamanians, we are hardly 4 million people in the country. So imagine the whole country fits <laughs> within central London. So it's really difficult to, to run into other Panamanians abroad. And usually people always tell you, oh, you're the first Panamanian who I've ever met. Latin Americans. I was also struggling uh, to find people from Latin America at the beginning when I when I landed in London. Um, and you try to when you when you are from another place, you um, you try to um, you you try to embrace those little things that make you feel a little bit more connected to where you're coming from. Like comfort food is one of them. Like for people, a lot of people who I know here in the UK, comfort food means uh, fish and chips or means curry, but those are not comfort foods for me. They're so, like they're so far away from where I consider comfort food. So if I wanted to cook something that felt Panamanian or Latin American, I knew that I had to take the tube and maybe do like, you know, a, a 40 minute ride to go to a market in Elephant Castle where I knew there was this guy who had a shop and he was selling products um, that were similar to what we consume in Panama. Maybe I wouldn't find Panamanian things, but I would find like Colombian things, or I would find um, things from the Caribbean and I could cook at home those foods. Then I discovered a Peruvian market somewhere, I think in Peckham, and I would go in the bus from where I lived, like an hour and a half to Peckham, because there's no wow. tube station nearby just to buy those products because you want to feel uh, connected. And those are things that I discovered along the way. Oh, there are other Latin American people. At the beginning, I thought um, I'm, I'm part of this like real minority. We're like almost mm. no Latin American people in the UK. And I thought it makes sense. Why would Latin American people want to come to this weather if they have <laughs> amazing weather back home? But I felt like that. I felt like there weren't uh, many Latin American people. And then I'm, I'm answering this question so long. I'm, uh, but <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that then a few years uh, along the line, I met um, in one of my jobs, a makeup artist who was from Colombia. And we had an incredible connection. We even like hung out later and I cooked for her. And we made sancocha, which is a, like a, a, a soup that both Colombia and Panama share. And over, you know, that soup, we 
sort of like spoke about her experiences of being um, Latin American in the UK. And then many years later, I met another Latin American person. And then I started realizing, okay, so there's more of us because up until then, people from the American continent that I met were either Caribbean who have their uh, different identity to uh, Latin Americans or Brazilians who share that Latin American uh, sort of like culture with us, but because they're not Hispanic, uh, Hispanic they, they have a different language as Portuguese. Um, connections are a little bit different to have. I mean, we have a lot of things in common, but uh, it's not the same as when you run into other uh, Hispanic speaking um, Latin Americans. Um, and then I met this person last year, actually, and she told me, what do you mean that there are many Latin Americans in the UK? There are hundreds of thousands of Latin Americans in London. Like there's a massive community and you should go to North London. There's this Latino village in this market and you should go here, here and there. And I'm like, how am I, after almost a decade living in this city, <laughs> finding out about this? So I went online and I read an article on the New Statesman, which is um, a political, uh, a liberal political magazine here in the UK. And I found this quote on that magazine and it said that Latin Americans form one of the country's fastest growing ethnic groups um, in the UK, but are rendered as invisible by official policies and a near total absence of media portrayal. And I was like, okay, so that makes sense. That's why I felt like we were just like a few, like a few hundred people mm. from Latin America um, in the UK. So the article goes on to say that at the start of the pandemic, the UK was home to a quarter of a million Latin American people uh, that come from both Spanish and Portuguese speaking countries of the Americas. And uh, roughly half of those Latin Americans, so like 150,000 more or less, live in London at, at the beginning of the pandemic. And we Latin Americans, we form the eighth largest ethnic community in the country. So nationally, we're already comparable to the size that Britain Asian uh, population had in 1991. And, and here, I, here I was thinking, I am the only Latin American. Mm. So answering your question, representation is important because of this, because if I'm not, if I'm not seeing other Latin American people out there, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that I am the only one, you know, um, who comes uh, from that part of the world. Um, according to the news statements as well, the vast majority of Britain's contemporary Latin American population are in large part migrants from Argentina, Brazil, Ecuador, and also refugees from uh, Colombia's civil war, war. And most of them arrived between 1990 and the year 2000. Um, so they are also having children now. And those children are the ones who are creating this uh, important sense of community uh, for Latin American people here because they, they have grown up in Latin American households, eating the food, consuming the culture and the traditions, but then they look around and they have the same experience that I have. So they are the ones who have come up with all these festivals and art exhibitions and, and creating like this sense of belonging that is very um, much uh, lacking in the UK. Wow, wow. Thank you so much, JC, for sharing this whole lived experience. It's, it's incredible to see how you went from belonging to first one community, which is the immigrant community and sharing that kind of experience with other immigrant from various communities, but also the fact that you seeked that 
Latino community and you're looking for it. And it's quite disappointing not to see it as much out. I, I never knew that we're like Latinas as half a million in, in the UK. That's nothing that being represented to us is always like there's that very, very tiny bit. That's why it's not in the diversity and inclusion form. So it's, it's, thank you again for sharing this knowledge like I didn't know, which bring me back to the diversity and inclusion form, well, diversity and monitoring forms. Then from your experience, do you think they are useful? And in what way do you think they are or aren't useful? They, they are, definitely they're useful. Um, and I think that something that I had to say is that we will always get it wrong. You and I will get it wrong. The National uh, Statistics Office will get it wrong. The government will get it wrong. We will all get it wrong at some point. But the important thing is to try to work on, you know, on those errors that we make. And if there isn't a, a definitely a massive mistake being uh, done with these uh, diversity forms in that we are all being put, or, or all this mixed um, heritage uh, backgrounds are being put within a box that is called mixed other, as if that would help anyone. The, these, these forms, they're very useful in the sense that you can create policy for all these groups, for, the, for all these groups that, that form the demographics of the, of, of the different cities and communities um, within the country. So local authorities or local governments or cities or even the countries that form the union they can decide how to tackle issues that affect the different communities if they know how these communities are formed. And we have seen this during the pandemic. You only know how to uh, encourage people, for instance, to get vaccinated or to get tested or to wear masks if you know how to speak their language, their mm -hmm. culture, if you understand how they behave, if you understand, understand who they trust or who they don't trust. So knowing that there are... A, like at the beginning of the pandemic, a quarter of a million Latin Americans in, the, in this country would help you create policy and create, you know, um, the communications and the language necessary to be able to help these communities um, survive something something like the pandemic. So I think that there is definitely this usefulness to this to these forms, but they will never be useful if you can feed a lot of people in just one box and make the label of that box as generic as something as mixed others. I completely agree with what you just said, JC. I think there need to be an actions in wider diversity and in monitoring forms are being used and how is that going to be put in perspective. I completely agree with knowing how, for example, Latino communities are like in the UK, you'll be able to communicate and knowing what is the communication tools that you'll be able to get to the conversation which I think is different from each communities because we come from a different lived experience. I completely agree with that. Um, I want to take you back to your, your growing up because you're, I mean, you're half Panamanian, half Catalan. You were born and lived in and grew up in Panama, but you're also Catalonian. Um, I want to ask, when did you start realizing you were mixed? That's, that's really funny. I remember as a child, um, we, we were, brought up in a mixed household but in that household I think we were brought up as Catalan even if we lived in Panama and we absorbed all the culture and all the traditions at home 
we we were brought up with this very strong Catalan um, sense of identity, and we you could see like all my family in all the cars that the family had. There was always a sticker with the Catalan flag or the or the or the Barcelona flag or a message in Catalan. When in nineteen ninety two the Olympics um, happened in Barcelona, like for years before that, we all had all the logos and all the colors. We would wear that, and people would ask us. And I remember having to tell people that the slogan for, for the Olympics in Barcelona was Mes que mai, which means um, Barcelona more than ever. And I would have to explain to other people in Panama, yeah, Mes que mai, that means, you know, more than ever. And people would ask and they would be curious. But I wasn't conscious about that. Like, I always felt Panamanian. And when people ask me the, where I was from as a child, I would always say Panamanian. I will never answer you know my mixed heritage that's that wasn't a conversation that we had at home either about mixed uh heritage so i would always say i was panamanian i knew where my mom was born i knew where my dad uh, had been born but i but i i knew that i was born in panama and i considered myself panamanian so when people try to sort of like pinpoint that yeah yeah but where exactly are you from like where is your family from um, you know, the typical question, um, I, I had struggled with that because, yeah, I had to say, okay, so my family is Catalan. And then people would go like, oh, so where is Catalonia? Well, yeah, do you know Barcelona where the Olympics are taking place? And and speaking about maybe 30, 30 something years ago, it, it this is pre-internet. So the sense of how the world is and where places are, if today a lot of people cannot locate Panama in a map, imagine 30 something years ago, telling someone in Panama, yes, I'm, my family is from Barcelona. People would know, yeah, that sounds like Europe, but exactly where it is. So I, I remember having all these conversations. I mean, still, I always said I was Panamanian. And my dad, um, he had a, a friend who was also Catalan and, and he had uh, children who had been born in Panama. So they all had like a very similar identity to mine. Um, and at the time, I remember... He had come pick me up um, because his friend was taking me to, to his home to play with his children. And as my, my dad and him were walking out with me towards his car, he asked my dad, do you think that they feel that your children feel Panamanian or do you think that they feel Catalan? And I remember clearly my father replying, I think they feel 50-50. And I must have been, I don't know, like nine or 10 years old. And even so at that time, that didn't mean anything to me, but that phrase is recorded in my memory. And as an adult, I go back to that memory over and over again, thinking, okay, so my parents knew that we had like this split in identity, but that was something that we never discussed. So I never really understood it until I had to leave the country and travel and live in other places and then realize, okay, now I know what that means. Now I know what it means to be uh, from two different ethnic backgrounds. Wow, that's um, I find that interesting that you you heard it really young and your parents noticed it as well when you were really young, but it didn't come to you until later on. What is it to be mixed? What is it to belong to two different identities? Um, until you actually traveled, and that takes me to I know that you traveled a lot and you lived in Barcelona and Panama, New York, in the UK. So I know you mentioned it earlier as well. So do you feel like your identity and your sense of belonging change depending on where you are? Most definitely. Yes, definitely. And usually it's because of the way that people see you. 
So I think that a lot of times you tend to identify the way that other people are telling you to identify in a very subconscious way, especially if you have never really thought about your, your, your identity or national identity or ethnic background. And because I hadn't thought about it while I lived in Panama, when I arrived in Barcelona, I thought, well, this is my place because this is where my family is from. So I'm, I'm from here as well. And I felt strongly Catalan. And then society told me, no, you're not. You are an immigrant. You are Latin American. There is a word that people in Catalonia, and I think that I would say in the whole of the Iberian Peninsula, the Spanish-speaking Iberian Peninsula, they used to describe Latin American people, and it's Sudaca. And people would call me Sudaca all the time. Because you, you're not from here. You're a Sudaca. And... I had been brought up in a way in Panama to feel pride uh, for being Catalan. And I spoke the language, I knew the culture, I, um, I knew the history, but then I'm there and I'm not from there. People tell me this every single day. And um, it, it was a very difficult situation, a very difficult, um, I think a moment of internal crisis of, of trying to you know define yourself of who am I and I was very young I was 24 years old when I had this experience so I came from not ever thinking about this to thinking about this all the time because people were in my face telling me all the time that I was not from there and this is where I think I had my first experiences with those um, monitoring forms because diversity monitoring forms because I remember clearly um, the, that these forms would ask you, like, are you Caucasian, for instance? I think that was one of the categories that were used in the past. Are you Caucasian? Are you Black? Are you um, Latin American? Latino, it, it was included. So, uh, you know, you always take Latino. So I think that that sort of like started giving me a sense that, okay, so I'm not really Catalan, Catalan. I'm, I'm Latino, but I'm not fully Latino. Okay, I'll, I'll take Latino. After a few years of living there, more than a decade, um, I moved to New York. And when I lived in New York, these forms uh, specifically divided Caucasians from Hispanic and Latinos. So now I had another two options where I should take. Where shall I take? Am I Hispanic or am I Latino? And obviously I, I wasn't taking Hispanic because while I lived in Barcelona, I wasn't considered Hispanic. I was considered Latino. So in New York, I would take Latino. Even though people on the street, when I spoke Spanish, people would tell me, oh, are you Mexican? As if <laughs> the language that I was speaking was Mexican, right? Um, so it's funny that I was seen that way when I lived in the States. So arriving in the UK and finding these forms um, also made me think about, you know, where, like what is this configuration that I have that is so difficult to explain or to understand that it, it is not shown in any of these forms. Now here in a, in a third or fourth country, I'm being told that I'm something else. And in this one, it's worse because here I don't have work to take. In the past, I would take one of the options. In this country, it's the first time where when I've been made feel like I'm just like you go in that pocket in that in that bucket where we put all the ones that we don't know how to identify yeah that's a really interesting experience as well because in the UK people think having a mixed identities is very specific 
And like you mentioned, we see it in the diversity form. It's either white mixed with something else. But your experience as mixed up in the UK, do you think this representation has changed through time? And do you think it would change as being mixed others? It, it will definitely have to change. Um, the statistics that I just read you from the new statements show that definitely at some point um, all these forms will need to change. Um, I've noticed how it has changed in other countries, like wherever I lived before, I've seen that progression. I think that Caucasian is not used anymore. And I think that a lot of places are also trying to come to terms with what it means to be Hispanic and what it means to be Latino or Latin American, because those are really Latin American is not an ethnic um, identity is not an ethnicity it's more of a cultural identity because Latin American is formed by so many different ethnic uh, backgrounds that it is impossible to say that your ethnicity is Latin American that's more of a cultural thing it would be better to say maybe Hispanic because there's a lot of Hispanic influence in, in Latin America but at the same time no because there's so many mixes that it wouldn't be fair to put everyone under mm. that category either which is something that's also that is something really surprising to me about these forms here in the UK, because on the one hand, I'm being told we can't possibly make this list exhaustive because there are too many possible mixes. So we're just going to put you in this box that is the mixed others. But at the same time, you create categories that are so specific that they transcend um, ethnicity and then they go into nationality and then you wonder, are we talking about nationality or are we talking about ethnicity? Are we talking about culture? So why is it okay to have Chinese, Pakistani, Bangladeshi, Indian uh, in those forms, um, those not being ethnic backgrounds, but national identities? And is it not okay to include cultural uh, heritage like Latin American, which would make uh, more sense uh, to have that to have a national identity? Yeah, I always, <laughs> I mean, we had a conversation with someone about that before, which is, I find it really interesting. And it does confuse you sometimes. You're like, oh, then if I bought others and they ask me specifically, do I bought like the ethnicity or do I bought my nationality? Because there's a mix in, in the actual form. Um, but going back to your work, because I know you do an amazing work. Um, and I know Thank you're you. really interested uh, in human rights, mental health, but also identity. So I would like to ask you, can you talk to us about how you do this in your work and in what way you implement your lived experience in your own work? I think um, for artists in general, um, for creatives in general, your, your lived experience always comes through in your work. That's impossible, I think, to separate that. Um, I think that my exploration of identity and national identity has progressed as my own personal exploration of my own identity has progressed as well. So going back to when I arrived in the UK, because I wasn't seeing any Latin American people, my only other option was to go see Catalan people. And I uh, tried to find communities online in Facebook and in other social media of Catalan people living in the UK. And there are many and they're big and they're very active. Um, but I, whenever I went to those activities, I always had that feeling that I had when I lived in Barcelona of not being Catalan enough for some people. So I didn't really fully fit in. 
And at some point, because we had um, also, the, uh, we were living through the Catalan conflict and the independence uh, from Spain, there are, they, these groups also tend to be very political as well, because you have, obviously, you, you, you're trying to keep your identity alive. And um, most of the activities that I went to became a little bit uncomfortable because they were too political. Even if I would agree with the views, that wasn't the type of sense of belonging that I was looking for. Uh, for me, it was something more, you know, a day-to-day -day, um, sort of like sense of belonging. And this neighbor of mine um, in the first building where I lived actually in London, um, she, I knew that she spoke Spanish because I heard her speak Spanish and she knew that I spoke Spanish. So when we introduced each other, we introduced each other in Spanish. And then when she asked me about myself and I told her my background, it turned out that she was Catalan. So she automatically switched to Catalan. And that's the language that we've always used. And she was extremely welcoming. And, and she really made me feel that I was Catalan enough for her and that my version of, of, of being Catalan was uh, good for her. And she's, I think she's a perfect example of how having someone who makes you feel welcome can, can help you in so many ways, can help you adapt better to a different uh, society, to a different country, can help you when you need to know, you know, what to do to look for work or to look for flat or, um, or to, you know, navigate everything that you have to navigate when you move to a different country. Um, and at that time, um, it was around the time when, when the Brexit referendum happened. And that was my first exposure to uh, to something as big as this in terms of conflicting identities, um, the people who wanted to go back to you know Britannia and you know this feeling of we are the the great uh, British Empire versus uh, the European Union, and um, I, I did a project on that, um, and I thought that it was very interesting to to speak to different people from all these different perspectives in, in that conflict. So the next year after that, in 2017, was when the Catalan referendum took place. And I was in Catalonia at the time and I was voting for the referendum as well. And I, th I sort of like remembered my experience with the Brexit project and I thought I should do something about this because this needs to be documented. Um, with my Brexit project, what, what sparked the idea of working on the project was that I was seeing in the media that the Brexiteer was portrayed in a particular way. But I knew that a lot of people that I knew who fit that description had voted to remain. But there are a lot of people that I knew who didn't fit the description who had voted to leave. So why was the media portraying this particular person as the typical or the average person who voted to leave? So that's what my project on Brexit is, um, Brexit is all about. So when I was there um, in Catalonia for the referendum, I uh, saw the same sort of tactics by the media, the sort of like demonization of certain types um, of, of people or, or certain uh, uh, sectors of the population, whether they position on one side or the other or the middle, they were categorized in different ways and, and made their image made look in a certain way. So I went out and photographed people and asked them about their position in, in, in the conflict. And, um, and it really felt good. It felt good to... Um, to explore something that I was exploring myself as well in, in my life and do it through, uh, through other people. And I think that that, coming back to your question, because I keep that alive in the conversations that I do, in the work that I do, 
in, um, in how I speak about the work that I do um, has made me realize that photography is such a powerful tool when um, you use photography to document any um, issue that you care for or anything that is happening in the world, you're offering the viewer the possibility to have an inner dialogue about the experience that they have when they're exposed to what you're showing them. So if I'm showing people this uh, project about Brexit, I had a lot of people sit down with me and talk about the project and, you know, wondering, okay, you're right. Like the media said that the people who voted leave were this way, but actually they look different or they are different, or it could be anyone. Um, the same with Catalan, um, with the Catalan project. A lot of people wanted to know more about Catalonia. They wanted to learn about the conflict. They wanted to learn the history, what was going on, because they weren't, they weren't getting that from the media. So reading about the project and about the different perspectives offered by the people who took part in the project also engaged people in those conversations. So those projects give me this ability as a, as a visual artist who uses photography to have these conversations with so many people and engage in new conversations about identity. So other projects have come out of also uh, those conversations. I completely in love with that project and other, your other project as well that explores the questions of not just identity, but ways it to be human and our individual rights. And I'm, I wished for the, whoever is listening to the podcast, actually go and check them out as well, because they're really great. And they are amazing at starting conversations which is we unfortunately have not have been having a lot lately. Um, but I want to take you back a little bit as well. Um, a lot of people always ask me um, if me, a member of my family, feel the way that we feel or have the same um, experience. So I'm wondering, do you think you have the same experience as a member of your family when it comes to the sense of belonging? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> and it, this is something very individual. Identity is something very individual. The way that you experience uh, those, um, those identities, your, your cultural heritage, your ethnic heritage, is very different to the way your parents experience. And I think that this is even more so on families, on people who come from mixed families, because the sense of identity that my mom has is completely different to the sense of identity that my dad has. Therefore, my brother and I, who are the product of that uh, union, have a mixed identity that has nothing to do with the identities that the two of them have. On top of that, even though my brother and I left the country, he was a student and then he traveled around Europe for a while, but he went back to Panama and he has lived there ever since. I came to Europe and I started living and working here and I've lived in different countries where I've also lived and worked. So my experience has been completely different to him, to his. Um, and it, it, we, we don't share, I think, that, that same um, sense of identity for all the reasons that we've uh, said before uh, in the previous questions. On top of that, we have um, the rest of my cousins who come from the same Catalan family. Um, they are second generation um, Catalans, let's say, living in Panama or, or having been born in Panama. So their experience of having Panamanian parents who come from a Catalan heritage is different to, different to the experience that I have of coming from a mixed household. So it's very difficult that your whole family um, can share this identity, it's especially if you come from, from, from such, you know, different and diverse mixes. Yes. Uh, 
that's really interesting to know like it's even like when you get together like you have one family but different identities it's incredible to see that and it's so um, enriching as well i have to say it, it definitely is well, thank you so much, JC, for sh for being with us today and for sharing your lived experience of being mixed others and the importance of representation in the UK. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thank you for giving me this platform to speak about this. This has been the Other Checkbox, a 10-episode podcast exploring London's other ethnic identities. I'm Sandy Abdurrahman. And I'm Jessica Nanidao. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for a different episode each month.